0: hear that going up a little bit okay let's turn to Habakkuk chapter 3 while we can amen (laughs) Habakkuk chapter 3 we're in verse number 2 today and I uh, when I sat down to begin preparing for this lesson I had on my paper to get through verses 2 all the way to 16 and then as I started working it out I realized there's way too much information to go through so rather than rush it I'm just going to I'm going to give you all of the information, but we're going to take as many weeks as is necessary. Today, I believe verse 2 is going to take up our entire class time. So verse number 2 says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now remember what's been going on. First two chapters, there was a conversation Habakkuk is asking, Lord, what are you going to do about all the wickedness, not only of the Jews, but of the Chaldeans? And then God answers him, especially the last half of chapter 2. Now, chapter 3, we are going to be told about a, let's call it a vision or a revelation that God gave to Habakkuk. And this is, we didn't get any of this in chapter 2. We get the full vision now of what Habakkuk saw. And what he saw was a very detailed account of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, he didn't get the timing of it or anything like that, like the day and hour. Nobody has ever been given that. But the details he gets, you will find connections throughout the Bible, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The very first prophecy in the Bible is dealt with in this. You go, there's maybe a hundred different verses from the book of Psalms that's connected to this. Have you ever read through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, and you're reading it going, where does, where does this fit? What is this talking about? We're going to cover all of that in Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to be in the book of Revelation so much because a lot of this obviously is going to tie into what we read there. So that's why I don't want to speed through it I want us to take our time. Now, a few things you need to know about. Verse 2, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. So God has been speaking to Habakkuk. We know this in chapter 2. But furthermore, the Lord said even more to him, and and that's what we have in chapter 3. Look at verse 16, if you would. Verse 16 says, when I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered. At the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. So, Habakkuk has been given this vision of what Christ will do at the second coming. And it says it, it made him fear and tremble. He was shaking at the thought of this. And that's why rather than just say this is the second coming of Christ, I'm going to try to walk you through it and give, give you that picture in your mind as to what that time is going to be like. Now let's make sure we understand what we're talking about, not the rapture. Okay? We're not talking about the rapture. That is a separate event. We're talking about seven years after the rapture when Jesus comes back to the earth, the battle of Armageddon, all of that that ties into it. So if you're interested in biblical prophecy and future events, don't miss any Sunday school classes for the next four, three four weeks because we're going to take our time and cover it extensively. Now, in, in Habakkuk 1 and 2, there is an explanation of what God is going to do to the Jews to punish them and then what He will do to the Chaldeans to punish them. And because of that, many Bible scholars and teachers say that Habakkuk 3 has already been fulfilled. It happened in the past when God... Uh, brought Israel into and then out of captivity. And guys, I, I, I can't get on board with that. There's too many things in Habakkuk 3 that point into the distant future. And for us, I would say the near future. Right In Habakkuk's time, it was distant, but now I think it's coming very close. Let me just show you a couple things here. Look at Habakkuk 2, verse 3. In verse number 3, the Bible says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end, it shall speak and not lie. So God's telling Habakkuk, there's a set time this is going to happen, and it's at the end. Now, that doesn't narrow it down much for Habakkuk. For us, though, we know that there's been quite a bit of time that's transpired since Habakkuk heard this. So we're more familiar with what the end is. Look at verse 14. This will narrow it down even more. Chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth shall be filled. Guys, I'm sorry. There's, that's ringing loud for me is is it too loud for you guys is it okay I'm getting a lot of feedback up here verse 14 for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea now this event this hasn't happened yet Right? So it, this narrows it down for us. This has to be pointing to something in the future because the earth has not been filled with the knowledge of, of God up until now. And then verse 20, also, the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. That hasn't happened yet. So obviously we're not dealing with something from the past, the days of the Babylonian empire, empire falling. This is something in the future. So those are the end times that we're looking at. Now, let's deal with something else in verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard Thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive Thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. So, there's two other things that we need to talk about in the verse. Number one, His prayer request, which is revive us. And we'll talk about that more towards the end of the lesson today. But the, the next thing here, in the midst of the years... Now, I don't think Habakkuk fully understood what he was praying here. Let me say it this way. In line with God's prophetic timetable, I don't think Habakkuk knew the the full import of his words. In his mind, he's probably saying, God, we deserve to be punished. We deserve your wrath. Help us to understand why we're being punished. Help us to see clearly what mistakes we've made before the punishment's over we don't want to wait till the end of your punishing to to have fellowship with you did you realize that even though you might be in the midst of whatever punishment god has brought in your life you can still find his fellowship again you don't have to wait for that problem to be resolved to have fellowship with god in the midst of it you can draw nigh to him and you still might have to deal with some of the consequences of your sin But things can be made right between you and God. So that's kind of the revival part of it. And Habakkuk is maybe thinking, I don't know how long this is going to take. I don't know how many years this punishment is going to go on. But God, please don't wait till the end. Revive us before we get there. In the midst of it, please bring us back to life. Bring us close to you again. Now, at this point in the timeline, Habakkuk, I do not think, has the book of Jeremiah in his hand. Now, the reason that's important is because in the book of Jeremiah, it is revealed that Israel or the Jews are going to be in captivity for 70 years. Then Habakkuk would have known a time frame. That's why I say Habakkuk, when he says in the midst of the years, he doesn't really know how long the years are, right? So we can't narrow it down to say he's asking in the 35th year of the 70 years revive. So I'm just trying to help you get the timing in your mind, but as we've seen in the book of Habakkuk, God is saying, I'm going to deal with this down, down the line, way at the end, right before the earth gets filled with the knowledge of the glory of God and the Lord sits in His temple before that. Now, we know that there is a specific time frame waiting before Jesus comes. We call it the tribulation time, right? Biblically speaking, Jeremiah chapter 30 gives it a different name. It is the time of Jacob's trouble and that, the name Jacob, that's the, the old name for Israel, right? This is the time when the Jews are in tribulation. So what, when Habakkuk says, revive thy work in the midst of the years, I don't think he was in his mind thinking, in the midst of the seven years, bring us back. right? Bring us back to you. But I'm going to show you some verses now. That is exactly what God's plan is In the midst of those seven years. So let's run some references. We're going to do more studying today than preaching. Look at Daniel chapter 9 and let's get verse number 27. All right, Daniel 9 and verse 27. If I can just draw your attention to one little thing in verse 24. Daniel 9 and verse 24. At the beginning of it, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Now these 70 weeks, it's, this is a prophetic timetable that God's giving us. God gives us in the passage the events. From the time that Nehemiah begins to rebuild the temple, that's 450 B.C., until the end of the 69th week, then Messiah is cut off. Now, it can't be weeks like we know them, you know, Sunday to Sunday, seven days, like, like we count, 24-hour days. It couldn't be that because from Nehemiah until the Messiah, you, you have a much longer time frame than just those weeks. But if you take one day equaling one year, which, which by the way, that's not me trying to privately interpret that in the book of numbers when god was punishing israel he said you're going to wander in the wilderness one day or one year rather for every day that you doubted me as you sent the spies into the land of canaan remember they were there 40 days and then they came back with a doubting report said we can't win god said one year For each day. So the day equals year system is something God uses when he's punishing his people. And you see it again in the book of Ezekiel. He says Israel and Judah are going to go into captivity. And he tells Ezekiel lay on your right side for 390 days. And then flip over and lay on your left side for 40 days. And you got to admit that's a long time right? To lay on your right side and then flip over and lay on your left side in the midst of town. Not at home, where everybody can see it. And then Ezekiel said, God, what, what is this for? He said, each day for a year. 390 days? This is how many years they're going to experience, kept it. And 40 uh, day That's 40 years. So the day-year system is something God uses to, to help Israel gauge their timetable for punishment. So he says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Let's plug in the day-equals-year system. So, one week is seven days, right? So do a little math here. So, if you have 70 weeks, that's 70 times seven, which, by the way, are you familiar with that number from the Gospels? Jesus said, don't forgive them seven times, but 70 times seven, that's because that's how, God, how long God put up with His people. That's why Jesus chose that number. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an accident, not at all. There's more we can say about that number, but let's, let's keep going here. So, 70 times seven, now you've got 490 That's days, now turn the days to years, 490 years. So if you have 69 weeks, just subtract 7, right? That's 483 years. Nehemiah begins to rebuild the city and the temple, or not the temple rather, but the city of Jerusalem. He, He does that in 450 B.C. Now add to that 483 years. Where does that put you? You take 450 from the B.C. side, Now that brings you to zero, then run 33 to the AD side. Where are we? 33 AD. That is exactly when Jesus died. Look at verse 26. After three score and two weeks, you can, in verse 25, there's a combination of seven weeks and 62 weeks. So after three score and two, that's after the 69th week, shall uh, shall Messiah be cut off. So Daniel's prophecy is spot on, exactly when Jesus was supposed to die. Do you remember the gospel saying this? In due time, my hour is not yet come. There was a set time for it. There was a set time. Now verse 27, we're talking about the Antichrist here. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So you, in the passage before, verse 25 and 26, you have seven weeks plus 62 weeks, that's 69. Then you have one more week. So sometimes you'll hear me say that the tribulation is also called the time of Jacob's trouble, but it is also and very properly referred to as Daniel's 70th week. And this is why. This is that 70th week. And in that week, the Antichrist is going to confirm the covenant. Now, if you were at church last week, you know what that covenant is. We studied it, we talked about it in Luke chapter 1. It's called the Holy Covenant. It's called the Everlasting Covenant. What is it? That Abraham's seed gets to dwell in the land of Canaan. That is their land. So this Antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty, not just with Israel, but protecting Israel with the rest of the world, saying, nobody bother them, they get to live in the land. And he signs the seven-year deal with them and says, you get to live there for this long. But look what happens. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. There are seven years. And in the midst. Do you see that? What did Habakkuk pray? In the midst of the years, revive thy work. Right? So he says, in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. That's the end. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So right in the midst of the week, the Antichrist is going to enter into the temple and cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. How does he do this? He's assassinated. He rises again. He goes into the temple and says, I am God. And after that, he will begin to attack the Jews. He breaks this covenant with them and begins to attack. Look at Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. Verse number 31, Uh, I'll tell you what, let's get verse 30 with it. Daniel 11 and verse 30, For the ships of Cheatham shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved in return and have indignation against the holy covenant. So shall he do, he shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant. So the rest of the world, they, they join up with the Antichrist and they turn against the Jews. Verse 31, and arms shall stand on his part. He has access to all the weapons. And they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength. And they shall take away the daily sacrifice. And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. And such as do wickedly against the covenant. So that seven-year deal gets violated. right? Let me give you some other verses. I want to show you about the time frame. I've already shown you there's the 70th week. That's seven years in the midst of it. All of this begins to go haywire. So let me show you this time frame. If you have, come to Revelation chapter 11. If you have seven years and you cut it in half, then you have three and a half, three and a half. But there's other ways that we can count that time. We can break it down into other designations. Revelation 11, let's get verse 2. We're reading here about the temple. In Jerusalem which by the way this is one of the places where scholars who deal a lot with prophecy they they turn to this passage quite a bit to prove that one of the indicators that the rapture is going to happen soon is that they're trying to rebuild the temple in Israel the temple needs to be rebuilt for all of these things to come to pass and it's true they're right they're right did you know that the plans have been drawn The architects have drawn it up, and there is a plan so that the temple of God and the Dome of the Rock, the Islamic holy place, can sit side by side there on that site in in Jerusalem. We we only need some politician to come in and broker the deal to say, okay, you're allowed to live here peaceably. We just need that seven-year covenant to be signed off on, and then the temple can go up. So verse 2, it says, but the court which is without the temple... Leave out. So don't measure it. Verse 1, he was told to measure. And measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. Please keep this part of the verse in the back of your mind. I'm going to show you another verse in the book of Luke about this. Okay? Now let's look at the time. And the holy city, that's Jerusalem, shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. How many months in a year? Twelve. Twelve times three? Thirty-six. Half? We need six more months? So 36 plus 2, or 36 plus 6, sorry, is 42. So there's 42 months. That's three and a half years. For three and a half years, the Gentiles overrun this place. Why? Because the Jews are running out of town. They're under attack. Look at verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. This will be Moses and Elijah. And they shall prophesy a thousand Two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Now, biblically speaking, one month equals 30 days. I know that our calendars work differently. That's because various men down through history have rewritten the calendar. But biblically, one month is 30 days. So if you take the 42 months, right, 42 times 30, you end up with 1,260 days. Same time frame. So while the Antichrist is attacking the Jews, you have Moses and Elijah in Jerusalem, presumably, preaching. Everybody's trying to kill them, and they can't. If anybody approaches, whoo, fire comes down. You, re- you remember this from the Old Testament, don't you? When they came to take Elijah. Don't, don't you, I'm sure you've read 2 Kings. I know you've read 2 Kings chapter 1. The, the king, the wicked king, sends men to take Elijah. Fifty men come and say, come, the king calls you. He said, oh, you called me a man of God? If I be a man of God, let fire come down. And then the next 50 come. All right, the king calls you man of God. Oh, I'm a man of God? If I be a man of God, let fire. And then the third guy comes and says, Elijah, sorry, sorry, man of God, I know you are. You don't have to prove it. (laughs) Please, pretty please, with sugar on top, may you please come talk to the king. Please, please. Elijah said, that's fine, I'll come. (laughs) I'm telling you, when you read the Old Testament, you're reading tomorrow's newspaper. The thing that has been is the thing that shall be. The Bible is connected in the most amazing way. You can see the time frame. There's a lot of focus on the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. You can read it here. Look at chapter 12. You'll see it again, verse 6. Chapter 12, verse 6. Here we're working with some analogies and illustrations, some metaphors. Verse 6, the woman. Now, the woman, this is a picture of Israel. Forgive me just for the sake of time. We're not studying Revelation 12 in its entirety, but the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God. So God says, come here, I need you to draw nigh to me. I'm going to prove to you that you're still my people, that I still care about you, I still love you, I'm still protecting you. In the midst of the years, he does it. What Habakkuk prayed 2,500 years ago, God is honoring that prayer. saying, all right, come here, Israel. I'll take care of you now. She hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there 1,200 and threescore days. You see that same time frame? Look at verse number 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Now, we already know by comparing Scripture with Scripture what this is. Time, times, half a time. It is 1,260 days, which is... 42 months, which is three and a half years. We already know that, right? The Scripture told us that. So time, that's one. Times, that's two. Half a time. So now we have one plus two plus half, that's three and a half. So this is the three and a half years. It's just a different way of stating that time. Look at verse 17. And the dragon, that's Satan, was wroth with the woman, Israel, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, those that were left. I'll show you now how not all of them are going to make it. Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So in the tribulation time, right about the middle of it, you're going to see a massive influx of Jews into Christianity. Because they they get it. The Bible becomes a different... It's not just the Old Testament anymore for them. They're seeing what Jesus said and what the New Testament apostles said. It's all coming to pass. And many of them are going to convert under those conditions. Now, in chapter 13, Revelation 13, look at verse... uh, Look at verse... uh, Look at verse 4. We're dealing here with the Antichrist. It says, And they worshipped... Oh, boy I'm sorry Let's get verse 3 Forgive me Verse 3 And I saw one of his heads As it were wounded to death Now this head Is the seventh head You know the, the great dragon Has seven heads And they're all kings And you read Revelation 17 We've already had six kings We're waiting for the seventh one To show up The seventh one That rules the world Is the Antichrist I saw one of his heads As it were wounded to death There's the assassination And his deadly wound Was healed. I'm going to show you now what that deadly wound looks like. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying who is like unto the beast. And who is able to make war with him. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. What kind of blasphemies? I am God. 2 Thessalonians 2. He will make that claim. And power was given unto him to continue. Forty and two months. There's that same time frame. Verse 6, And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. He starts talking trash about you and me. We're already up in heaven via the rapture by this point. Verse 7, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. There's the one world, everybody worshiping him. All right? come to Zechariah chapter 11. Zechariah. Old Testament, if you get Matthew, just back it up about five pages. You'll be in Zechariah chapter 11. Zechariah 11, let's get verse number 16. Zechariah 11 and verse 16. The Bible says here, For, lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. He'll eat the flesh of the fat. He'll overtax them. He will oppress them and steal their goods and then tear their claws in pieces. He'll disarm them. He'll take away their weaponry, which is exactly what the Antichrist will do. Verse 17, woe to the idle shepherd. Notice I-D-O-L, not I-D-L-E, that's lazy. I-D-O-L, so he's like a little statue, that kind of thing. Woe to the idle shepherd. Now, there's going to be a connection with this because the Antichrist, after he is assassinated, he rises again. You know what they do for him? They build him an image. They build him an idol. We studied this in Habakkuk 2 a couple weeks ago, and the false prophet brings that idol to life. There's the connection. Woe to the idol shepherd that leaveth the flock. What do you mean, leave the flock? You remember when Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 to his, his disciples that they were called a little flock. He says in John 10, I have another flock. I have other sheep, talking about Gentile believers. This flock that the Antichrist is going to leave, he makes a deal with them, right, for seven years with Israel. But in the midst of the years, he breaks the deal and he leaves them. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. This gives us some detail about the assassination of the Antichrist. Something, I don't know if it's an explosion. The word sword is often used just for a weapon, just in general terms. So it's not to say he actually has a literal sword that goes through him. Could be a grenade, could be a bomb, could be a shotgun, whatever it is. Something attacks his right side. So his right arm and his right eye are finished. The the arm is still there, but it's dried up. He can't use it, and his right eye... He's wearing one of those, you know, gar patches. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it's interesting, if you look around, and and guys, this isn't the time to get into deep conspiracy stuff, but you look around at Freemason uh, symbols. You take the back of a $1 bill in America. You've all seen it. You have a pyramid, and then the capstone is separated from the pyramid. And then in that capstone, there's an eye. They call it the all-seeing eye. Now, this goes back to Horus and the gods of Egypt, and there's a long story behind it. But you notice, if you look carefully, it's a left eye. The, the right eye's dried up. The right eye doesn't work. It's always a left eye in those symbols, for whatever reason. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know if they... I, I, doubt, I seriously doubt they studied verse 17 and go, let's make it a left eye, right? I, I doubt that. But there it is. Now, look at chapter 13, Zechariah 13. And forgive me here. Give me just one second. Yeah, yeah, Uh, verse seven. Sorry, Zechariah thirteen and verse seven. I'm sure you'll remember this verse here. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. This is God speaking. My, He says, my shepherd. But remember, back in chapter eleven, verse sixteen, God said, I will raise up a shepherd. I'm going to bring this antichrist because that's part of the punishment for his people. He de- they deserve him. Verse 7, back in chapter 13, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. Remember that? Jesus used that. He talked about it when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be arrested, and his disciples would flee. And that one part of the verse is true of what happened with Jesus. But here's the thing, the devil is the great imitator. So if God does it, the devil wants to do it so that we get confused, so that we can't tell them apart. He's the great imitator. So what's going to happen in the future? This is one of those special verses where there's a beautiful dual application. It's true of Jesus with the disciples scattering, but when the Antichrist gets assassinated, you know what happens? The Jews then have to scatter. So when it says, smite the shepherd... And the sheep shall be scattered. I'll show you now a verse where Jesus says, When this happens, Jews run, yeah. scatter. He says, I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. Uh, this Antichrist begins to punish everybody, young and old. Verse 8 It shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third part, or the third shall be left therein. You've heard me say that two thirds of the, all the Jews in the world will die. There's the verse. Two thirds. Two thirds. Verse nine, I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried, and they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. So there's Revelation twelve, seventeen. There's the remnant hiding in the wilderness that God's prepared and all of that. So you're seeing the connection, yes? So I showed you a verse in Revelation thirteen how the Antichrist attacks the saints, not just Believers in Christ, like you and I today, but even these Jews, and we don't have time now, but if you're taking notes, Daniel chapter 7, verse 18, verse 21, verse 22, verse 25, verse 27, you're going to see it all through there where Israel is referred to as the saints. And it says that this Antichrist will wear out the saints because he is going to try to kill all of them. Now, come to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, let's get verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. We we read about it this morning. Do you remember Daniel 9, 27? Daniel 11, verse 30, 31, right in there. We read about that. When ye shall therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. You've got to read and study and search the Scripture to wrap your mind around this. Verse 16, what are they supposed to do? When this idol comes to life and stands in the temple and the Antichrist says, I'm God, What are they supposed to do? Verse 16, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. See that? Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. Why? You don't have time to pack a suitcase or pack a lunch. You got to run. And if you're with child, you can't run as fast. This, this time, when they see these things in the book of Daniel come to pass, it, it, you've got to scatter. The sheep shall be scattered. Take your Bible, come to Luke chapter 21. <clears throat> now see, for the first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, Israel's quite comfortable to go along with the Antichrist. He's protecting them. He's the one that brokered the deal, this peace, peace in the Middle East. Right? He brought it to pass, so they're very happy with him. But as soon as he gets assassinated and rises back up, now the, uh, the Antichrist turns on him, breaks the deal, and is trying to kill them. That is when they realize, uh-oh, that wasn't the good shepherd. That was the Idol shepherd. He's setting up an idol in the temple. He's claiming to be God. This can't be God. That's when they, their eyes get opened. That's when, as, as a group, now not every individual, but most of them turn to the Messiah. Luke chapter 21, let's get verse number 20. This is the same context as Matthew 24, just so that you know. So he says in verse 20, "...and when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains." And let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries enter there into. So don't come back home to get anything. Just keep running. For these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That takes us back to Revelation 11, verse number 2. Remember, I asked you to put it in the back of your mind when the, the court of the temple is given unto the Gentiles and they're going to overrun the city. That's exa- this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. I want you to see how all these places in the Bible are connected. Zechariah, Daniel, Matthew, Luke, Revelation, it's all pointing to this one time. All right now come back to Habakkuk chapter 3. Now, can you see why I didn't want to try to do 16 verses today? I don't think I would have made it very far. Let's talk about one last thing here. So Habakkuk has been given this vision of what Israel and what the world is going to go through. He becomes afraid. He, begun, he starts to fear and tremble and... He, he, it breaks him to hear what's going to happen. His prayer is in the midst of the years, make known. Make what known? God, make it clear to us why we're going through this. And then make yourself clear to us. Show us who the Messiah is. Show us how to draw nigh to you. Please, God, don't, let it, don't leave us in the hands of the Antichrist. Bring, bring us back to you, revive us. In the midst of the years. Now, I think it's clear prophetically how this would work, but I want to make just a practical application for a moment. Look back at chapter 1, verse 5. When Habakkuk first asked the question, God, why are you letting all these sins go unpunished, even amongst our own people? God answered in chapter 1 and verse 5, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. For, lo, I raise up the Chaldeans. So this is God saying, Habakkuk, don't worry. I know what the Jews have done and I'm going to bring the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, and punish my people. But notice at the end of verse 5, even if somebody tells them, hey, you're being punished because you've rebelled against God for 490 years. Count them up. That's how many years they rebelled. I'm telling you, that number is important. 490 years. This is why, by the way, they had to be in captivity for 70 years. Because God commanded the Jews, every seventh year, you have to stop farming and let the land rest. They didn't do that for 490 years from the time of the kings. God said, okay, out of the land, I'm going to give the land its 70 years of rest. Because you missed it every seventh year. Interesting, right? God, I mean, that, now we're tying in the book of Leviticus. Who reads Leviticus? <laughs> but, but there it is. And when Jeremiah, when Habakkuk, when Isaiah, when all these men, Ezekiel, when they got up to preach and said, God is bringing the Babylonians because you've rebelled, you've cast his word behind your back, you went about living your life the way you wanted to and have completely ignored God, you brought this on yourselves. You know what they said? No. Nah. No. That can't be. Come on. No, no, no. We're better people than that. Hey, don't worry. Jeremiah, this is in the book of Jeremiah. Another false preacher stood up and said, just speak life over it. I'm paraphrasing. Just speak life over it. In two years, we're going to get our country back. In two years, the power of the Babylonians will be done. I'm positive. And Jeremiah said, amen. I wish you were right, but you're not. Seventy years, man. You cannot overthrow Leviticus twenty-seven or 26. God said 70 years. It's going to be 70 years. You deserve it because of X, Y, Z. There's the reasons. There's what God revealed. God, please revive us. What does that start with? Help us. Make known. Show us what we did wrong. Show us just how serious it is. Please do not leave us In this comfortable, convenient state where we're satisfied with our version of what a good life is. God, whatever's not right with us, show us now. And be soft-hearted enough that when somebody tells you about the work that God's going to do, you say, okay, I I believe it. If if it stands there in the Scripture like that, if that's how God feels, I'm going to take that seriously. That's where the revival begins. Let's finish in James chapter 4. Brother Garrett recently taught through this in Bible school. I'm sure some of you heard the lesson. James chapter 4. He did an excellent job with it. Let me just remind you of what he said. James 4 verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Now if I say draw nigh, people say, how much closer do you want me to get? Haven't I done as good as I can? Am I not doing as much as I can with what I have? I don't know, are you? It says draw nigh. Have you tried? Did you make a real effort to do that this week? Because drawing nigh includes cleansing your hands and purifying your hearts and getting your mind not double but single. I have one singular goal in my life. To glorify and fulfill the will of God. Verse 9, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. This is part of the revival. It starts with this. It doesn't end there. It doesn't end with weeping and mourning. It starts there. God, I feel your wrath all around me. My life is so difficult and frustrating. Nothing seems to work out. Maybe, just maybe God's trying to get your attention. Maybe that's him saying, I'm not satisfied with what it was. I want to bring you closer. God's done his part. Now he's asking you, draw nigh, come close, and then the revival takes place. All right, let's all stand if you would, please. So I tried to give you quite a bit for your head and a little bit for your heart there. Let's pray and ask God to help us with it. Father, please revive us, Lord. You don't have to wait until COVID is gone and you don't have to wait until our lives are all sorted out and everything's working great. Even now, God, even now, revive us again. Show us what it is. Put your finger on whatever it is in our lives that's not uh, satisfying to you. Lord, we know you have a plan for the, for the Jews, for the world. We, we know that you're coming back, and we pray that it will be soon, God, soon. And until that time, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's take a break.